Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we're, we have the notes. If you are interested in the notes and, and the scripture text and different things, it's at the Bible app. It's always at the Bible app, unless I forget, but it's there today. And so by all means, check that out if you want. We started a new series two weeks ago, and uh, we're, caught, we're walking through the book of John. Uh, the, the Gospel of John. John wrote four, four well, five books in the New Testament. And this one we're looking at is what's called the Gospel of John. It's uh, his account of Jesus' ministry. But what we'll see actually is by the time we get to like chapter, I think it's like 10, 9, 10, it, the rest of the book of John is actually the, just the last few hours of Jesus' life on earth. So from like chapter 10, 11, all the way through to the end, it's just the last let's say, a week of Jesus' life. So the first, you know, again, nine, ten chapters are the summary, a good summary, a decent summary of Jesus' ministry, things he did, things he taught, etc. But what's really cool about this letter to me is this is written by John, who calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, obviously, Jesus loved all the disciples, but there was something very unique about John, for he really understood, he really accepted God's love for him, and, or specifically Jesus' love for him. If you remember at the Last Supper, which we'll get to it in a, in a few weeks, or many weeks, I guess, but Peter wanted to ask Jesus a question, but Peter didn't ask it directly of Jesus. Peter needed an ambassador. He needed a, a messenger, a messenger. And so he says to John, says, hey, ask Jesus this question. And so John, in this very unique uh, dependency that I see John having, knowing the love of, the, of Jesus towards them all, but specifically towards him, he was able to, as we see in our little graphic here, whisper the question to Jesus. It's kind of like at my house, to my kids, I'm obviously, I'm daddy, Right? But when one of their friends comes over, even if it's a kid, a kid I know, like maybe Aaliyah or somebody else, there's always that, hey, ask your dad if. Now, why does that kid not just climb up in my lap and just ask the question themselves? Because that relationship isn't there. Like that, that understanding of, of my heart, if you will, isn't there. And so what I see happening is John, he really understands the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus. And that's what he wrote about last week as we started in to the Gospel of John. Last week, we looked at the first, like I called it the prologue, like the introduction. And J John basically said, here's what happened when Jesus came to town. When Jesus came to town, the deepest, most intimate thoughts of God himself became a man. That's Jesus, the word, logos. The deepest thoughts of God 
became a man. And here's how he described him. The deepest thoughts of God becoming a man revealed to us grace and truth. Grace, unmerited favor that we could never earn or deserve, and truth. In other words, what really is real, reality. Because the whole system, of course, had become this pharisaical Judaism that was focused on trying to, their performance, to earn God's love and favor and acceptance. And John even said, we came to know that system through Moses. Moses taught us law-based system. But grace and reality are realized through Jesus and Jesus alone. And the last verse, I think it's verse 18 of what we looked at. Well, I say last week, two weeks ago when we were here last. says, so cool. It's so cool. He says, through him, through Jesus, Jesus explains God. So if you ever have a question of, you know, is God for us? Is God against us? What is God's attitude towards the sinner? You know, all that sort of stuff. Well, John is saying, hey, here's, here's the one. Here's the one that explains the heart of the Father to us. His name is Jesus, full of grace and truth. And that's just cool to me because growing up, how many of us have like, what is God really like? What is God really like? The disciples asked that question. And Jesus said to them, and we'll get to that too. That's later on in John. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the embodiment of the deepest thoughts and emotions and desires of God himself. So cool. All right. So um, we know what God's thinking because Jesus is the deepest thoughts of God. So neat to me. So we're going to continue now with uh, picking up in verse 19 of chapter 1. And we're not going to cover the whole chapter today. There's this little part at the end that we're going to actually just leave out there. It's not that it's weird or anything. Uh, I just, we, we have to be done at 11 something, you know, to get, get out of here. And so we're just going to leave that out uh, for today. And, you know, whether we hit that at some point, I don't know. So, uh, oh yeah, so here it is. J- verse 18, I just said this. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus explains the mystery of God. So cool to me. So let's pick up in verse 19. John starts talking. John the disciple, we've got a couple people named John here, right? John the disciple starts talking about another guy named John. John the Baptist. Literally, John the guy who baptizes. So John the guy who's out there baptizing is sent to testify about the Messiah. Now, we're going to see some really cool things today, I think, I hope. It's cool to me, at least. And the biggest thing is that John did not know that Jesus was the Messiah until a fixed point in time. And he'll explain that in a minute. See, I always kind of thought, well, Jesus always, uh, John, he certainly always kind of knew, you know, that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, he was his cousin, right? But that's not the case. It was only until a fixed point in time that John knew that Jesus wasn't the, the Messiah. And so that's a big deal. Then what we're also going to talk about today is this thing called baptism. Now, look, I am not an expert in Jewish historical culture, all right? I'm just sorry to bust the bubble, right? But baptism did not start with the church in the New Testament, the New Covenant era. Baptism had been a thing for generations before Jesus shows up. 
And it was a system that served two purposes by the Jews. One was it was they would do ceremonial washings, the Jews would, in order to be ready for, you know, the next feast or the next, you know, celebration, whatever. They'd have some ceremonial washings. And sometimes that was called baptism. But the main purpose of baptism in the Jewish culture, after we talked last week, well, again, two weeks ago, about the exile and when the Jews came back from exile, the main purpose during that time of what's called Pharisaical Judaism was when they received a non-Jew, okay, I'm a Jew, you're non-Jews, and if I'm going to receive you to become a Jew, then you have to go through this process, this ritual called baptism, where you are being immersed, dunked, placed into Judaism, okay? So when we think of baptism, let's don't immediately think, think of the apostles and baptizing in the name of Jesus. That, that wasn't a thing yet, okay? See, it's, too, it's hard for us to rewind all that we know about, you know, modern or, or, or new covenant baptism to get back to what were they actually thinking when they heard the term baptism. So John wasn't, and we'll get into this, he wasn't baptizing people into the church, to the ecclesia, to the, into Christianity, into Jesus. That, that hadn't happened yet. That wasn't a thing yet. Baptism was only for the purpose, well, only, mainly for the purpose of bringing someone in. David says, I want to become a Jew. I say, David, you can become a Jew, but there's, here's these things. Circumcision and baptism. You have to immerse in water as a symbol of immersing yourself into the Mosaic code, the Mosaic law. Right? We got this? So John shows up baptizing. With that being said, let's just use our thoughts, deduction, John isn't baptizing people into Christianity. Hey guys, so great to see you. Come on in. He's not baptizing people into Christianity. He's actually, and this is going to be a little weird, but I want us to see this before we even start reading. He's actually baptizing people into a rededication to Judaism, to real Judaism. Because what had happened is the people had got to this point where they really thought, hey, we can pull this thing of Moses off. We can really do it. The Pharisees had created this whole system thinking, we can actually make it happen. And so God sent forth John to rediscover, uh, 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 to help people rediscover the true heart, the true weight of the Mosaic law, which was not sent to help people accomplish righteousness. The Mosaic Law was sent to help people realize their great need for someone else to give them righteousness. And so, the, so John is not coming in starting the church through this thing of baptism. John is coming in to help people realize that, that the law is heavy and it's weighty. And if you don't get on board, then you're going to miss out. He doesn't know the rest of the story. So... Starting in verse 19, it says, This is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So we start off saying, This is John the writer, John the disciple. He's saying, This isn't my testimony. This is actually the first count, first-hand account testimony of John the, the, the Baptist himself. And so these Jews, they see him baptizing all these people, 
And they're like, wait a second, why is John, this crazy guy, we'll get into a description of him in a second, why, why is he baptizing people? He's not a part of our religious elite. Who gave him the right to baptize people into what? Judaism. You see that? What is he doing? Plus, uh, in, 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 I don't think it's in John, but in some of the other accounts of this, it says that people are going from Jerusalem out to get baptized into Judaism. Isn't that kind of weird? Why are Jews getting baptized into what? Judaism. Because see, what had happened is this, this Pharisaical Judaism had become the popular religion where it was, we can actually accomplish the law. And what John was sent to do is to say, no, no, no. He says, what's his, what's his cry? Repent and be baptized. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, you guys need to re-immerse yourself into the true weightiness of this law. Not, hey, let's figure out different ways and techniques to actually accomplish the law. Because it's impossible. And so he confessed. Let's see if I missed some of my notes. I think I do. I need to turn my page. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. So this, the Jews sent this delegation, right? They didn't want to all go, so they sent a delegation, an inquiry. Any Star Trekers in the, you know, you can raise your hand. You can admit it if, if you want, you know, a couple, all right, one or two. It's like an away team, right? You know, you know the, the, the captain doesn't go down there himself most of the time. He sends the first officer guy and the guy with the, you know, reading rainbow thing, right? <laughs> he, they, they send him down there to see what's going on, right? So it's like an away team to go figure out what's happening. And so John, in the other Gospels, he's called a wild man, right? What do we know about John? Anybody? What do we know about him? Grass, not locusts. He eats locusts and wild honey, okay? That just kind of puts you in a category of your own, just right there. What about his attire? Camel hair, right? I don't know what that's like. I've never worn camel hair, but I would imagine that's kind of unique. If it wasn't unique, the writers wouldn't call it, wouldn't, you know, I mentioned it, exactly. <clears throat> so Matthew actually says that John's clothes were made of camel hair and that he had a leather belt. I don't think that's too weird. Um, but his food was locust and wild honey, and people went out to him from Jerusalem, from Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, right? They are confessing their sins and they're being baptized by him in the Jordan River. So he is, envision this. He is saying, guys, you have, you have trekked so far away from what Moses was really trying to get us to do to be underneath this weight of the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws. You guys have stepped away from that and you're over here trying to create all these traditions to try to accomplish it. On your own, which is not the purpose of the law. And so John is screaming, repent, which means change your mind. Change your mind. Heaven is close. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people, they're following in suit. They're coming to him in droves, confessing their sins, and they're getting baptized. They're immersing themselves back into Judaism. Does anybody remember in, in, in church, you know, uh, growing up or whatever, it's, I, I keep saying growing up because that that's my experience. Where at the end of the service, you know, the preachers say, who would like to rededicate your life? You know, who wants to, you know, try harder to do better? Like, you remember, you know, that, that system? And so, like, man, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I came down, you know, to, to do, try, committed to try better, to do harder, etc. But that's kind of what we're seeing here. I mean, John is 
beg, is imploring them, guys, you, gotta, you need to try harder to do better at this Mosaic Law thing. You, you think you're doing, you think you're passing, but let me remind you of the weight of this law of Moses. So John has quite the following. He's baptizing all of these Jews, so much so that these religious leaders, they, they can't, uh, they, they want to know what's going on. Namely, I think, they want to silence it. They want to put an end to it. So they send this delegation. And again, he's baptizing them not into Christianity, not into Jesus. He doesn't even know Jesus is the Messiah yet. He's baptizing them into what? Into a rededication to Judaism. And so John has been sent by God to warn the people to purify themselves, to prepare for the Messiah, the kingdom of heaven, etc. And people are hearing him. They're evaluating their life choices. They're realizing the errors of all of their sin and the things that they've done. And they're coming to confess and to be baptized, baptizing themselves back into a rededication to observe the Mosaic law. Now, um, this is why, in my opinion, the religious leaders sent this delegation I mean, who has the rights to baptize people into Judaism? It's not some, you know, camel-wearing, bug-eating, wilderness-living crazy guy. That's not who has the rights to do this. It's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the priests, the Sadducees. And remember, Jews didn't even need, by def- definition, to be baptized into Judaism. It was usually... Gentiles who wanted to become Jews who were baptized into Judaism. So John is kind of taking it up a notch, and he's saying, you ethnic Jews aren't even really doing Judaism the way Sinai tells us to do it. And so John the Baptist, he's like a prophet of the Old Testament because we're still in the what? Old Testament. When did the New Testament begin? At the death of God on the cross. So he is like Elijah, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, like all the prophets of the old covenant. He is standing up. It's kind of like the movie Patriot. Any Patriot movie? Not, not, not the football team. Yeah, yeah. But the, the movie? I can go for the movie. All right, so remember that scene? I don't remember where it is in the movie where, like, they're retreating and the flag, the, the American flag's kind of falling out, and Mel Gibson, he takes it, and he, like, starts running, and I'm just like, you know, like, oh, I want to die, too, you know, like. All right, so remember that? The flag was starting to fall, and he grabs it, and he lifts it up, and all the people that were running away, they turn around and, and run towards. All right, get that image in mind. The the banner, the flag of the Mosaic law was sort of falling. The true weight of it was sort of falling underneath this new thing of what we're calling Pharisaical Judaism where they're, just, they're, they're actually thinking they can accomplish it. They're watering it down to the point where they actually think they can do it. And he is taking this flag, this banner of Moses, and he's raising it back up and saying, no, 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 this, you guys have lost vision. The true weight of the Mosaic law is not something that you can stand under and think you can accomplish, Pharisees. Because what does he say to some of, not in John, but in another uh, account, another book, he says, who warned you, you brood of vipers, when the Pharisees came to him? 
He's like, who told you about this? You're the ones that is, is why I'm having to do this, to get them back on track with Moses. And so he is uh, adamant about raising the flag of Judaism, true Moses' Moses's law to give them... A, did John know the end goal? I don't know. He just knew what God told him to do. The end goal, though, of the law is what? To realize our inability to do it. And so if we've watered it down into this pharisaical Judaism thing, then, wow, we can do it. And that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is to bury self-righteousness, not to create it. And so he wants them or at least God, again, whether or not John sees the end or not, I don't know, but God wants John to put, to raise this banner of Moses one last time so that the people who are drifting away from the weightiness of the law, I, I see God wanting to use John to put the full weight of the Mosaic law squarely on the backs of the Jews so that they are crushed by it. So that why? So that they cry out for what? A rescuer. Do you see it? A deliverer. A rescuer. But if we think that, oh, we can accomplish this by having these little traditions and these systems and these whatever, we can actually accomplish Moses, then why do we need rescue? We do it on our own. And so I see John as one last Old Testament prophet who is being used by God to bring about the true weight of Moses. Just like the weight of Pharaoh's taskmasters' whips and yokes were on their ancestors thousands of years earlier in Egypt. And they were crushed and they were crying out to God, save us. I see John's ministry as putting the full weight of the law back onto the people so that it crushes their thinking that they can actually accomplish it. Those, those Egyptians, those, those Israelites in Egypt, they, were, they, they did not think, oh, hey, we can overpower Pharaoh. They knew the reality. They knew if God didn't save them, they were not going to be saved. And that same reality John was sent to re restore. If, if God not save us, we're toast. The stringency of the law is too much. So, John, like Jesus, does later in his ministry, John is reinforcing, reintroducing the true weight of the Jewish law so that it squarely rests on the back of the Jews, just like Pharaoh did in Egypt. So, verse 20, he confessed. They're asking, who are you? What power do you have to do this? And John says, uh, he didn't deny it. He confessed, I am not the Christ. Because that, that's the Messiah. Because they're looking for the Messiah. They're hoping the Messiah would come to overthrow Romans' rule over them. He says, I'm not the Messiah. And they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not Elijah. He says, are you the prophet? This is unique. The prophet. See how our uh, New American Standard actually capitalizes that. And that's because I think the fulfillment of this, the prophet, this prophecy about a prophet to come that's from the Old Testament, I think it's, it's Jesus himself. The prophet that transitions from the old to the new. But he said, are you that prophet? Are you the final prophet? Are you this prophet? He said, no, I'm not. 
And then they said to him, <laughs> I love it, we're not getting anywhere, John. Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. Like, we, we're the away team. We got to tell Captain, uh, not Kirk, what's the guy? Picard, whatever. We got to tell him. We got to give a report. You're not giving us any fodder for this uh, report that we've got to give back. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And now John answers. And this is where we get the meat of what we're talking about. He says, I am. See how the train is shaking the projector? (laughs) I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, what I'm submitting to you, John is saying, my purpose is to restore to the Jews, to the true heart of Judaism, making straight, getting us back on track. You know, like think of a train, like it's off track. We're getting back on track to what the true weight of this thing of Judaism truly is. They had evolved into the system of independence, thinking that they could pull the law off. But instead, John was sent to bring it back on track, to straighten their error out. How foolish it is to think that they could accomplish it. To put the weight of the law back onto the Jewish backs where it belongs so that they cry out for help instead of puff up with pride. Now, verse 24, it says very plainly, they, this away team, this group, had been sent from the Pharisees in Jerusalem. The Pharisees had sent the crew to go find out what was going on. And they asked him, verse 25, Why then are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ, if you're not Elijah, come back from the dead. If you're not the prophet to come, then by what authority? That's what they're asking. By what authority do you have to baptize? And John answered them saying, I baptize with water. Okay. But among you stands one, capital O, you see that, whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me. He's talking about the Christ, the Messiah, the thong of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan River where John was baptizing. So John knows, he knows some things. The Lord has told him some things that are going to happen that he's going to see. But he doesn't tell him everything. He doesn't tell him that his mama's cousin's baby, you know, like, how'd that go? Was it second cousin, third cousin, once removed? I don't know. Jesus and John related. He didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. But he knows that there's one coming right after him that is going to be the Messiah. And his ministry is going to be something unique. I don't think John, it's pretty evident when John gets in prison, I don't think John knows what the new covenant really is going to be. I don't think John really knows what this thing of the gospel to the Gentiles is going to be. I don't think John knows the big picture. But he knows what God has told him. And what God has told him is that there's going to come one after you who is the Messiah. And I'm sending you to help identify who that Messiah is. And to put people back on track under the full weight of Moses so that instead of puffing up and saying, hey, we might actually be able to do this, they are crushed into realizing, I need help. So, the next day, 
he saw Jesus coming to him. And he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'm going to take a time out right here because he explains in a minute how he came to know that Jesus was the Messiah. This, if we just stop right here and don't keep reading, it makes it sound like John knew, like before the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. But this actually, this is the next day. This is after he actually baptizes Jesus. Because John didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until the sign that God gave him was given. And the sign, if you don't remember, was that the Holy Spirit will descend upon the one. And I will, you know, confirm him, etc. And so that happened when Jesus was baptized. We'll get into that in a second. But what I want us to see here is that the very next day, Jesus has been baptized and he identifies, this is John's testimony, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I want you to see the relationship between what John is doing, bringing people back into immersion into identification with the true heart of Judaism, the law, versus Jesus and who Jesus really is. John is the one who's immersing Jews back into the Jewish tradition, the Jewish commitment to purity, to cleanliness, to religious zeal for the purpose, again, of them realizing that they're helpless and hopeless at actually staying pure and staying clean and staying zealous. In fact, the harder they try to be pure, the dirtier they get. As Paul says in Romans, he says, the law is what introduces us to what? Anybody? Well, sin. Ironic, I know, but the law introduces us to sin. And so he's putting people back into a commitment to the law so that they would be reacquainted, reintroduced with sin. So get this picture. If you need to close your eyes, if you need to like stare at the floor or whatever, I want you to get this picture. You are fresh off of a Jewish rededication. I mean, yesterday. Because it says the very next what? The very next day. So yesterday, you, were, you heard John. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven. Change your mind. Get back underneath the weight of the law. The kingdom of heaven has come. And you listen. You're reminded of all of your sins. The law is pointing out all of your sins. It's even exciting sins. And so you come and you confess your sins. You get placed under the water. And you come back out. The next day, more than likely, you've already failed at your rededication by the very next day. Let's be honest. And John makes one of the world's most incredible statements. You've rededicated your life. You're trying your best. And you've probably already failed. I mean, imagine this. And then John says this. Imagine this. You're so hungry to do what's right. You're so hungry to be right. You're so hungry to fly straight because the kingdom of heaven is near and you don't want to miss it. You've rededicated your life to the true heart of law keeping and it's been 24 hours the very next day. You've probably already yelled at your wife. You've probably already yelled at your kid. You've even cursed the dog already. I mean, it's only been 24 hours and you have fallen off the wagon already. You really stink, you're realizing, at doing right and at flying straight. But the harder you try, the more apparent it is to you that you have so far to go. 
because there's this thing in you called sin. Even though you really want to do right, as Paul says in Romans 7, you find yourself doing wrong all the time or a lot of the time, especially with your renewed commitment to the law and its 613 bony fingers that are now pointing out every single opportunity of accusation against you and your flaws. I mean, can you picture this? I mean, just yesterday you got wet and, to, and it's the new day and I'm going to rededicate and I'm going to do the law. And not even 24 hours have passed and you've already failed miserably. You want and you need to do it right, what's right, but you just can't because of this parasite in you called sin. Now you're depressed. You're angry. You're at the end of your rope. You're even at the end of yourself. And then you hear John say this. Can you see it? Can you picture it? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not one who just simply covers over it. Not someone who just simply sprinkles some holy water and says, you know, try your best again tomorrow. But one who actually takes away the very thing that is causing so much guilt and condemnation and you hear John say this, the next day, you're, you're, you're trying your best. You know you screwed up. You need to get wet again. And you hear John say this. What do you think? If, if you have really placed yourself into this Judaism of law-based living, of trying your best to accomplish it, and you're realizing how much you failed already by the next day, and you hear him say this, I guarantee what you're thinking. You're thinking, that is what I need. I need someone who will take this away, the sin in my heart, in my life. I can't do this. I can't accomplish it. I need someone to take it away. Again, John's ministry was to resurrect, to lift up this drooping banner of Moses that was sort of being lost in the culture because they thought they actually could do it. It was to resurrect it like Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, you've heard it say, huh, I want you to make sure you understand the weight of this. And so verse 30, John goes on to say, this is he this is the one on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And we talked about this two weeks ago for all the Bible trivia uh, guys and gals. Um, almost said nerds. That wouldn't be too nice. Um, that, that John was older than Jesus by six months at least. But G John realizes, no, Jesus always existed because he's actually God, the deepest thoughts of God in flesh. He's greater than I I did not recognize him, John says. He's my cousin. I didn't recognize him. I did not recognize him as the Messiah. But so that he, Jesus, might be manifested in Israel, I came baptizing in water. So one of the purposes of John's baptism, not just to get them back onto the straight and narrow and, and under the weight of Moses so that they, need, they see their need for a Savior, but one of the 
purposes or reasons for him baptizing is to identify Jesus as the Messiah. And he testifies about this in verse 32, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he, the Spirit, remained on him. Now, again, I told you I'm not an expert in Jewish uh, history. But from what I understand, in the commentaries, namely called the Talmud, but in the commentaries written about the Old Testament, like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, there is a description in Genesis chapter 1 about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of deep like a, guess, dove. dove. So every single Pharisee, every single religious leader, every single scribe, every single lawyer, they're very familiar with these commentaries, the Talmud, the commentaries about the Old Testament, describe, which describe the Spirit of God hovering over the waters like a dove. Now, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. But the commentators say it was like a dove. It hovered over the waters like a dove. And so for John to say that I saw the Spirit come down like a what dove, he is clearly, it's hard for us as Gentiles 2,000 years later to make that connection, but if you are a Jew, you're sent as part of this delegation to take a word back, right, to, to your people. What he is saying is God himself is in this body named Jesus. John could not be, for the Jewish religious leader, inquiring about this. John could not have made a more direct connection between Jesus and God than by saying that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended into him. You see that? So cool. And so John is clearly equating Jesus with God. And he says, again, I didn't recognize him. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah. I didn't know it. But he who sent me to baptize said in water, said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, that's the one. That's the one who baptizes not with water, but he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that Jesus' actual baptism isn't recorded here in the book of John, but it is in the other Gospels. And Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And John, you know, he's saying, stop your sinning. Be sorry for your sinning. Change your mind about your sinning because the kingdom of heaven is close. Come and rededicate yourself to the Mosaic law. And who shows up? Jesus shows up to be baptized as if to say, I need to change my mind about sinning. Because that was the call. That was the invitation. Doesn't this sound kind of funny? Why would Jesus, if the invitation is come and change your mind about sinning, because the kingdom of heaven is close, and if you don't get back on the straight and narrow of Moses and stop thinking you can accomplish it, if you don't get back underneath the weight of this, then you're going to miss out. If that's the invitation, then why does Jesus come to be baptized by John? In fact, God told John that when you see the Spirit descend upon that person, that's the one. That's how you'll know. 
And so what happened? After coming up out of the water, it wasn't uh, 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 the, the, the sky split open and the Spirit of God descended like a dove, he says. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. But do you remember what happened right before that? Jesus comes to John and he says, I want you to baptize me. Who remembers what John says to Jesus? That's exactly right. Why would he say that? Does he know that Jesus is the Messiah yet? Go like this. Good, that's right. Because he didn't know who the Messiah was until what? Until the Spirit came down like a dove. So why? Let's, 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 let's think about this. Why would John tell Jesus? John's inviting. Hey. Because you, he was fulfilling the law. There was, nobody had ever found any error in him. Exactly right, Bob. Exactly right. John knew Jesus. He didn't recognize him as the what, though? Messiah. Messiah. But he knew his cousin. They were cousins, like a couple times removed or whatever. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but their moms were first cousins. And so he knew him. And so he's thinking, Jesus, listen, let's, let's straighten you out, Jesus. Let's have a come to Jesus moment here, Jesus. You need to baptize me. Because I'm calling for people to change their mind about sinning and get more serious about doing Moses. I've never, in our 30 years of being together, seen you ever lose your cool. I've never seen you curse the dog. I've never seen this before. So, and you've seen me do it plenty of times. I mean, I'm out here eating wild honey. Like, you've seen me lose my cool. You need to baptize me for this repentance of sins, etc. Right? Do we follow? And what does Jesus say to him? This isn't in John, I know. But this is so important. It's in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. What does Jesus say? He says, it must be so to fulfill all, starts with an R, ends with an righteousness. Righteousness. It must be so. It must be so to fulfill all righteousness. Now follow me here. Follow this. is so cool. Jesus is seeing, this is what God sent John to do. He is seeing all these people come and rededicate themselves to Moses, to the Mosaic law, so that they can be right when the Messiah comes. Now, we know, because we're on the other side of it, that that's futile, because you can't be right by doing. In fact, Hebrew says that the, wall, the, the, wall, the law is weak and useless at actually making us righteous. It can't make us righteous. It is powerful at revealing our unrighteousness. It's a diagnostic tool, but it's not a restoration tool. And so Jesus comes to town. He says, hey, baptize me. John's like, no, I, you need to baptize me. He says, no, no, no. I want you in front of all these people to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. So get the picture. All these people are rededicating their lives. They want to do right. They want to be right. And then you have the one who comes, according to John, doesn't even need to be baptized because he's never seen him do anything wrong, like, like Bob said. And he steps into the water, follow, placing himself rededicating himself to what? Moses, the law. And he is saying, guys, you are out here putting yourself into submission to the Mosaic law in hopes that you'll get the kingdom of heaven. And I know the rest of the story. 
And I'm here to put myself underneath it because we're going to be walking tomorrow and you are going to get crushed by the weight of this thing tomorrow. And guess what? I'm going to take another step because the law, the power of sin, the law is arousing the power of sin in your weak members, your body, because that's the point of it. But I, underneath the full weight of the law, will not stumble one iota because the power of sin is not in my members for my daddy is whom? God himself. I am the embodiment of the deepest thoughts of God. This, guys, is why Jesus must have been born of a virgin. And if you don't believe he was not born of a virgin, there's too many negatives there. If you think he was born you know what I'm saying if he was born not, if he was not born of a virgin then he would have the same parasite of sin in him that you had in you and when he placed himself underneath the law he himself would have been crushed you see that? because the law excites the power of sin the parasite of sin and so Jesus the Messiah to fulfill all righteousness saying I am going to come underneath the power of the law and stand I will not stumble, I will not fall, I will not falter, because I am the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Do you see that? Amazing, amazing. And how does he do it? He does it by perfectly keeping the law, like Bob said, but then on the cross, he who knew no sin, guess what? Became sin. He took the sin, all of your sin, into his own body and only could do that because he had no sin in himself and he died for you and for me. And because he had no sin in him of his own, he was able to be raised three days later to give light and life to all who would believe in him. See that? That, my friends, is good news. Now, does that freedom and what Jesus has done make you want to go rob the liquor store and go hold up a bank and to go do whatever else the flesh wants? No. But see, that's what the law does. The law excites sinning. But the reality of Jesus and his finished work for you, it, 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 I don't know if the word is motivates or, or what, it just makes us go, wow. And this very same lamb is in you. He's with you. He's joined to you. Jesus says, as you've been immersing yourself in this water as a symbol of your rededication to Moses and Judaism, the day will come when I will immerse you in my very own spirit. A new day will come. It's not yet. It's not yet. We're going to do some stuff for three years. But the new day will come when I will take you out of this world and I will place you into me and my spirit. The very first verse we looked at was verse 19. He said, this is the testimony of John. The very last verse we're going to take a look at is verse 34. I have seen and I have testified. See, this is the testimony of John that Jesus is the son of God. And when he means by son of God, he means, going back to verse 1 through 14, that God himself took his deepest thoughts and made a man out of them. Amazing. Our journey marker for this morning is 
So last week, our journey marker two weeks ago was Jesus is God explained. That's who Jesus is. He explains God to us, full of grace, full of truth. He explains God to us. This week, our journey marker is Jesus is, I love it, he is God's sin management program. See, most of the time, again, I just refer to myself, that, that, that church was a, of all programs of trying to manage sins, trying to manage behaviors, trying to modify behaviors and manage sins, right? That's what Judaism had become, that pharisaical Judaism. They're trying to modify their behavior. The law says, don't touch that chair. Let's modify our behaviors and don't even come within 10 feet of that chair so we won't do it. See, now we can keep the law. That's what pharisaical Judaism was doing. It's an attempt to try to keep it. But here's God's sin management program. His name is Jesus, who did what? He took it away. The Jews had a choice to either try it themselves as hard as they could or to trust that Jesus did it once and for all. And we have that same choice to make today, to try our best to do it, to earn closeness, to earn forgiveness, to earn whatever, or to trust this same guy, John, he wrote 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. You should write it down. It's a good one. He says, Dear children, I write this to you so that... Uh, uh, dear, uh, dear children... Oh, sorry. That was a different verse. Verse 12. Dear children, um, your sins have been forgiven. Have been. Past tense. Forgiven. And then he says, for his own name's sake. The forgiveness of your sin isn't even for your name's sake. It's for his name's sake. And I submit to you that if God does something for his own name's sake, he's going to make sure it's done right. Closing thought. This last week I had a job at a, at a friend's house. Fortunately, it was a friend's. And I messed up what, what happened and, and I told him I'm so sorry I'm going to come back and I'm going to make it right and uh, so Saturday morning I got up they were actually out of town and I went over and I spent like two hours fixing my error that I messed up and you know it wasn't huge it was just like a, how the cock, the, the cock line ended up but my name for my company was on that job and I could not Leave it that way. You say, well, it's just because you wanted to get more business down the road. Uh, maybe, I don't know. But I, whether business came or didn't come by this job, more business, I couldn't leave it that way because my name was on that job. And so I spent the better part of two and a half hours cutting. You ever cut out silicone, fresh silicone? It's very, very difficult. So I cut it out of the whole kitchen and I made it right. Yeah, it was long. Because it, my name was on that bill, on that name, on that job. You got that? God's very own name is on your forgiveness, the removal of your sins. So whenever the enemy comes to you and says, hey, remember what you said yesterday? Remember what you thought this morning? Remember what you, remember you, remember you? You can simply remind him of the Lamb of God who came and took away the sin of the world. Any closing thoughts or ideas or questions or but what abouts? Uh, what time we got? Anybody got time? We got, we got a few minutes. Yeah. Just thank you. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Amen. It ought to do something to us, right? I mean, it's amazing. Yes, sir. So that you be, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Toast. <laughs> saint, saint, saint. Toast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he is the deepest thoughts of God as a man. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, Joe. I was thinking a little bit about John the Baptist and and your reference to. Did he really know what he was talking about? Or did mm-hmm. he really understand it? But part of what I see in that is that he did hear from God, and he was doing what he was told. Exactly. Here. And it did seem like he kind of later he said, this is he of whom I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. kind of see some kind of a connection. Yeah. He saw something. Mm-hmm. He said, make straight the path. And yeah. He said, I'm not him. Right. And he was referring to another. Yeah. So to do in life, even if it's keeping the law, and I have to think of Paul also, he mm-hmm. was really diligent. Sure. Keeping it doubling down. Right. And except I don't see in Paul that he saw anything else beyond. beyond right. Him. Right. And I think there's something about doing uh, just what we know to do. Yeah. And when I think of children growing up and you're under the parents, or you go to school and you're under the teachers. There's something about paying attention to those who care for you and to just do what you know to do. Yeah. That that learns obedience. It learns you learn how to be subject to and how to listen. Mm-hmm. And however, in a sense, it sounds kind of like John was a bit misguided to yeah. double down on this law thing, but he was doing. Doing. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. And there was a purpose. And, and so. And I guess if we're moving, like somebody said, if you're not driving the bicycle, you can't steer it. You know? mm. And in this way, he was doing something. Yeah. Listening and, and Absolutely. So, yeah. so in life, yeah. wherever we find ourselves, you know, and 
I was thinking of the idea if you're not faithful in the least, yeah. But there's always that, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, and I go out here in society and I do in society and I try to do that, right? Mm -hmm. That's not spiritual, but it is still embracing what we will do and then the, I guess the true riches will come. Yeah, right on. Yeah, no, he, he, he did exactly what the Lord told him to do and the Lord had a plan. I, um, but when he's in prison, and we'll get to it in a few weeks, um, he sends word back to Jesus and says, hey, are you really the guy or not? You know, is this really the deal or not? Because I think I can as uh, assume that John, like all the other g the Jewish lads, thought that Jesus, the, the Messiah, was going to raise up a revolution against Rome. And that it was just going to be a localized sort of restore back the Davidic, you know, empire sort of a deal. That's what I meant by, I'm not sure if he knew the big picture of the redemption of the world and a whole other kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that we leave the kingdom of darkness and we're transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness. Like that piece, I, I would assume that John didn't know. Like none of the prophets of old, none of them knew that, uh, that, that, that piece of it. But they did exactly what the Lord told them to do because... They were all part of that grander scheme, that grander plan. We have the privilege of knowing the rest of the story on this side, but, but they, did, they just did what they were told you know, to do, and that's very admirable. Um, and uh, and, and I, I, just, I just find it encouraging to see that he's not baptizing them into Jesus, into Christianity. He's baptizing them into a rededication to the Judaism to bring the weight of it so that they cry out for help. Yeah. I was just thinking of the, um, was it the rich young ruler that came to Christ uh -huh. and said, what should I do? Yeah. And Jesus knew his heart. And it's almost like he said, well, you know the law, don't you? Yeah, and, right. And Jesus knew that if he would refer to that, yeah. he will, and if he tries to keep that, he will surely get them away eventually. Yeah, Even right. Even though he knew that was not, yeah. you right. know, where the life was. Exactly, exactly. Cool. I think our time is pretty close. Um, if you have a thought, feel free to uh, share it at uh, you know as we're packing up or whatever. But we're gonna have to skedaddle. Um, yeah, I think that's it. So let me pray for us, and we'll help get the chairs out as quickly as possible. The sound equipment, the, the, all the totes. You know, if we can get this stuff, whoever wants to help get that stuff all put together, super quick. That'd be great. And um, and and we'll be back next week. Awesome. Love you guys. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, your rescue. You, you came in, you know, I could just, I just love seeing it. It's like you, you say, here, hold my water. And you came in to the water and said, I'm going to do this. This thing that you guys think you can do, watch me. Watch me do it. And the Father from heaven says, my son, I'm well pleased. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Thank you so much for doing it, for taking away our sins, for fulfilling the law, not abolishing the law, 
you didn't take it 613 and make it into five or six easier things to do. You didn't abolish it. You fulfilled it. And now that we've been baptized into your spirit by faith, we have fulfilled it too. By grace, through faith. So God, we thank you so much. May this truth resonate deep in our soul this week. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.